And Merry Christmas to each one that is here tonight. Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're just going to start in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I will be careful with the time, but I would like for us to examine the greatest message that man ever gave. The the whole purpose of mankind was... Uh, uh, summarized here was envisioned in these words. The shepherds were abiding in the field. And verse 13 tells us, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, if there's one message that needs to be uh, trumpeted to this world, is it not this one? Glory to God in the highest. Now, the problem is, everybody argues about who is God and who is their God. And if we'll just allow the Bible to explain, there is only one God. And He is the one that sent His Son, Jesus, to dwell among us. And this entire Bible, if you want to get ready to live in heaven, I've, I've heard all kinds of things of, uh, that people say they're going to do when they get to heaven. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We'll touch on these passages here when, uh, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We're going to glorify God. That, that is what heaven is about. And so as we look to the, look at this phrase, look at the praise here, we, uh, there is much that goes on for praising God today, but it's really not praising God. And what I would like for us to do is to take just a few moments as we start our Christmas celebrations and uh, everyone, uh, and I, I do encourage you to, as if you have a family, if you have uh, uh, people that you're around, is, is to make your own traditions, make it special to yourselves, so that you have things to remember and hold on to in this life. But one thing, tradition, it ought to be common in us all, is giving glory to God in a way that He can receive it and be glorified and be pleased with our worship toward Him. Now, we're going to look at several passages tonight, so I would like you to uh, uh, turn with me to John chapter 13, if you would. John chapter 13, and while you're turning there, I just want to read a verse a couple verses in John chapter 12, as Jesus was preparing for the Passover, and just the day before, he said in John chapter 12, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people therefore that stood by heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, 
but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. We get to John chapter 13, and the supper is finished. The Passover meal that Jesus enjoyed with his disciples, he washed their feet. He uh, tried to help them to understand and see uh, what was really happening here and what was about to happen. And we come down to verse 31. You'll notice in 30, Judas immediate had just gone out to betray Jesus. Verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway... Glorify Him. Now, these are strange words, are they not? Hours before Jesus would be arrested, just before, as He was leaving the upper room, He was on His way to Gethsemane. And, and I would challenge you, if, if you love the Lord, if you love the Bible, you need to spend some time in John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, as they tell the story of just the, the moments that Jesus had with his disciples between the upper room and Gethsemane. So many things transpired in those few moments. And it was as if Jesus was summarizing the entire three and a half years he had spent with his disciples in those few moments. And such deep and incredible passages here, but... Jesus here says, now is the Son of Man glorified. But he was going to be arrested. Now is the Son of Man glorified. He was going to wear a crown of thorns. Now is the Son of Man glorified. He was going to hang on a cross. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be spit upon. He was going to be jeered by the religious leaders and the priests that offered the sacrifices in the temple. I wish we had time tonight to go through all of this, how that everything that was prefigured, everything that was done in the uh, the Old Testament ceremony with the Day of Atonement was actually fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The priest put their hands on him, on Jesus, not as they did on the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, but they slapped him and beat him and asked him to prophesy. But you know what they were actually doing? They were confessing their sins of unbelief and hatred toward the God they claimed to worship. You see, God's Word will always be fulfilled. And yet Jesus called this process of humiliation glorification. Why? You see, we are assembled here tonight to glorify Jesus Christ because of what He did on the cross for us. Can we say amen to that? 
And see, at the Baptist church here, we have an empty cross. Aren't you glad about that? Are you? I mean, stop and think about that. There there are some churches where Jesus is eternally crucified, eternally put to an open shame. The Bible tells us now once hath he suffered in the end of the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I am so glad. These words, a translation in the English of what Jesus said in one word in the Hebrew from the cross. In some of the uh, accounts of his uh, 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 crucifixion, it says he cried out with a great voice. This is what he said. It is finished. It was not a death gasp. It was not the last feeble words of an expiring man who who used his last ounce of energy to to make a statement. No, this was the eternal God of heaven proclaiming victory over sin. Amen? Got one. Thank you, Leland. You see, we glorify Him because He was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Every religion this world has ever come up with makes allowance for man's failures over and over again. I remember talking with a... We used to rent the Seventh-day Adventist building over 20 years ago now. In fact, we moved into this building 21 years ago today. And uh, we praise the Lord that He allowed us to to move here. But in, I remember talking to a man at the Seventh-day Adventist church we were renting, and he was arguing with me about something and the Sabbath and all. I said, you drive your cars. He says, God understands. No, He doesn't. Jesus died on the cross for every sin. You cannot make allowances for your sins. That's what man does. That is the symbol. That is the sole root of every false religion. I met a man one time. He says, I confess my sins to my priest and he forgives my sins. I said, what makes him so righteous that he can forgive your sins. Well, he confesses them to the person before. I said, let's follow this thing out. Where does he... I said, finally you get a man forgiving other men for their sins. So what could be more blasphemous than that, my friend? Only God can forgive sins. You see, that's why we glorify Jesus Christ. Because each one of us in this room, if you are here tonight and you have believed on Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you have direct access to the very throne room of God. We call this the priesthood of the believer. 
it's not reserved just for the clergy or just for super uh, spiritual people. We do not believe in a two-tier relationship with God. I get a little nervous. People say, well, you know, you're, you're the pastor of the church. You're the under-shepherd. And yes, there is a position here. There is a responsibility and there are things that a pastor is supposed to do. But a pastor is a sheep. He gets saved the same way everybody else does. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We do not believe in the first among equals because there's no such thing. We believe that there is no respect of persons with God. Everywhere else you go, you're, you're put in line. You're put in order. You're, you're going to be told that this is your position and you better not step over it or you're going to make people mad. If you want to understand politics, right there it is. That's what it's all about. Somebody stepping on somebody's toes, somebody doing things not the way we're supposed to. Hey, aren't you glad God's not a politician? Aren't you glad? We glorify Him because He doesn't do things the way we do things. We do, He does things the way God does things. Don't try to get God on your side, because He's not joining you. But I'm here to tell you, we glorify Jesus Christ because He made a way for us to get on His side. He made a way for us to follow Him. We glorify Him because of the cross. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. But I want to challenge you, that stone was rolled away from the tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning, not so Jesus could get out, but so we could see in. Amen? So we could know that the victory is already in hand. It has been won. It is finished. And we glorify Jesus Christ. We give glory to God in the highest because He sent His Son because of us. Have you gotten so close to Jesus, you've gotten over what He did for you? If you have, you're you're not close at all. You're actually much farther away than you ever thought. In this world, we put values on everything, do we not? I think that's what eBay is all about, right? I mean, uh, uh, there is nothing known to man that can't be found on eBay for the price of whatever. And what is the value of something? It's what someone is willing to pay for. Isn't that right? We still buy and sell souls today on many auction blocks. Don't think that slavery is gone. And we're not just talking about... Uh, it, if, if you ever... If you follow the news at all, 
uh, in just a few months, they're all going to get together, probably here in New York City. I don't know. They pick a different place every year. And they auction off all the football players to the highest bidders, just like cattle. You, you sit there and you do the deal. Of course, unlike cattle, the, the football player has to sign on the bottom line. But, I mean, it's just simply buying and selling. What do you think Hollywood is all about? Would any person in their right mind do what these people do for fame and fortune? I, I want to challenge you. The world is trying to buy you. But Jesus has already offered his blood for your soul. If you're going to be, if you're willing to sell yourself to the highest bidder, let me promise you this, Jesus Christ has already bid more than all of them put together. Could we say amen to that? But you need to recognize that Jesus did this for us. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 it says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5? Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to take a moment here and look with me in verse 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. It's not the word of God. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? This book, in case you're wondering what it is, is a book of the wrath of Almighty God. It is the book of His judgment. It is sealed. It is closed. But it's going to be opened one day. And when it is, woe be unto those that are living here on earth. But this strong angel stands before the throne and proclaims and, and, and makes a challenge. Who is worthy to open the book? And in verse 3, And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now I want you to get what's happening. This is in heaven before the throne of Almighty God and John is translated in the Spirit, and he is there. He is looking at this as this mighty angel steps in between the throne and the beast and the twenty and four elders that are gathered around the throne and makes the challenge. And immediately the messengers go out through the entire universe. They check every corner of heaven. They check every 
uh, every place on earth. They check in the sea, under the sea. They take this entire universe in a moment of time. And they find no one. And John is standing there and the suspense is just... And he loses it. It says, verse 4, it says, And I wept much. And John just loses it. He's weeping, tears running down his face. He, he says, No one is found worthy to look at the even look upon the book in his hand. And of course, God's always there to straighten things out. Amen. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Now, the elders were those that were gathered around the throne. They, we believe, the best we understand, those 24 elders represent Old Testament Israel and New Testament church. Twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles of the Lamb. You see, this elder had seen this happen before. They weren't looking for something they had lost. It reminds me of the story of the old preacher who brought the disobedient little brat into his office and he's trying to make a point. He said, where's God? And the little boy looked up at him with big eyes. He said, I'm asking you, boy, where is God? And he got up and he ran out of that office and ran to his mother. And mother said, what did the preacher say to you? You were being very bad. He said, I don't know. He said, he's lost God and he thinks I stole him. Now, let me tell you. They weren't looking for something they had lost. They were proving the excellency, the uniqueness, the singleness that Jesus Christ is. The only one. That's why we're here tonight. There are no others. There are no others that can be compared. Years ago, I had a man in a very serious argument. And he says, I'm leaving this church and I'm never coming back. And I said, why? What's, what's going on here? He says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. He said, whoa, wait a minute, back up, let's stop here. What do you mean by that? He says, well, you don't believe in any other person. Don't you believe that there are great men? And I said, oh, of course we believe there are great men. But when we talk about Jesus, nobody's great. When we talk about the writings of men, we don't believe in any of them. You know, not everybody, except Harold Camping, is wrong about everything. But only God is right about everything. And only Jesus is worthy. And look what it says here. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. 
And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the foreign beast and the foreign twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. Get this next phrase here. Which are the prayers of the saints. Do you know that we can have a part in the glorification of Jesus Christ and God in heaven by being faithful and honest and biblical in our prayers while we're still here on earth? Does that touch something down deep? It ought to. Don't just, now I lay me down to sleep with my hot rod on. I mean, I'm sorry, that was another version of that. Don't just repeat prayers to God. Our prayers are worshipped to Him. They're offered before the throne as incense. And they sing a song here. And look at verse 11. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Verse 10. And verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us of God to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We glorify Jesus because of the cross. Because he was never touched by sin. Because he is the victor over sin and over death. We glorify Jesus Christ because all that he did was for us. You know, John, in the epistle First John, summed it up this way. A verse you ought to have memorized. We love him. What's the rest of it? Because he first loved us. That's what's going to go on for eternity, my friend. That's why we're here tonight. Amen? And I want us to look at one more passage, if you would. Turn with me to John, back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 17. Now, many people like to recite what they call the Lord's Prayer which was actually part of the Sermon on the Mount, the real text which most people repeat is not found anywhere in your Bible. It's something that has been altered during the centuries and since Jesus spoke those words. But the Lord's Prayer truly and in all reality is found here in John chapter 17. This was the Lord praying. This was the prayer that He uttered before he went to Gethsemane. And I, I wish we had time to go through the whole thing tonight, but what we're going to just touch on is the parts of this prayer. You, I want you to remember, keep it in context. We're right back where we started. John 13, Jesus had just dismissed Judas. He was on his way to betray the Lord. He said, now is the Son of Man glorified. He said, if I glorify the Father... The Father's going to glorify me. 
That is so very true. That's why we're assembled here today as a church. The body of Christ is the local assembly of the church. And one day we will be assembled together in heaven. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 3.21, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And all God's people said, Amen. So in John 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Jesus was going to glorify the Father by being obedient to death, the death of the cross. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. <clears throat> Jesus had brought much glory to God through the acts that he did, the many miracles that he wrought. The greatest miracle that Jesus did while he was on earth was the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus had been dead for four days. This was beyond any hope. This was not like the widow's son coming out of the city of Nain who had just been dead a few hours. Or Jairus' daughter who had just died a few moments before. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. You'll notice Jesus never touched the grave clothes. He said, you unwrap him. Because Grave clothes soiled by human decay could not be made clean and Jesus would not touch them. But when the unclean woman touched him, what happened? She became clean. You see, that's why we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, glorify me with the glory which I had before thee, before the world was created. Do you understand that only God Himself could do what Jesus did so we could be saved? So that we could have fellowship again with God as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden before sin? Only God could do these things. And that is why we glorify Him. Skip down with me to verse uh, uh, 10 if you would. And Jesus says, all mine are, uh, verse 9, let's get a little bit here. It says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Do you get what Jesus is saying here? As he's praying, he's saying, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that have believed on me, those that the Father has given me. He said, they belong to me. Do you belong to Jesus tonight? Is He your Savior? 
Or is he just the centerpiece of your manger scene you put up at Christmas time? If you belong to Jesus, he says, I want to be glorified in them. I will be. I am glorified in them. Sometimes I wonder if the reason the world in which we live does not want the Savior that we have is because of what they see in us. It's a very sobering thought. The idea that the eternal God of creation has chosen us and chosen His church to reveal His glory to the world in which He lives is again a testimony to the greatness and goodness of God. What He wants to do in our lives. I've often said this, what does God have to fix with you to make God look good? Well, there's the answer, a lot. Amen? Everything. And that's what Jesus is praying for in this prayer. And we get down toward the end of it in verse 22. It says, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, I want to impart my glory. I want to touch them with my glory so that the world can know. See, we go back to the message of the angels. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know what our problem is? We turn that phrase backwards. We start with peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Why doesn't everybody like me? Why don't I get treated fair? Why why can't we just do things the way that they ought to be doing? I mean... Don't look at me that way. How many of you made that complaint to yourself under your breath this week? Possibly even today. We do all the time, don't we? But see, if we put it in the right order and actually allow God to shape our life so that it was glory to God in the highest first, then what happens on this plane takes on a whole new different understanding, does it? And I can actually have peace on earth and goodwill toward my fellow men and not expect a thing from them. I don't know about you, but there is nothing that wounds my soul deeper than someone who pretends to care about me and my life and what I am doing so they can get something from me. You see, that's why we do not have peace on earth and that's why we don't have goodwill toward men. But when I'm giving glory to God in the highest, I don't need anything down here. 
got everything. I, I'm looking forward. Heaven, I'm going to reign on earth with Jesus Christ. I am a priest to the Most High God. The Creator of the universe has pledged to hear me when I pray because of what Jesus did on the cross. Oh. Isn't that why we glorify Him? Hello? Can you say amen to that? Glory to God in the highest. When I do that first, then I can have peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And I don't expect the thing. Because Jesus has already given me everything I need and more. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? Could we pray about that? Could we ask God to help us understand that it is glory to God in the highest first before I try to have peace on earth and goodwill toward my fellow man? And all God's people said, let's just have a moment of prayer. Let's just bow our heads where we are. If you'd like to leave your seat and come up to an old-fashioned altar and spend some time on your knees with the Lord, we'll give you that opportunity. If you're with us tonight and you're not sure about your salvation, you have questions, we'd love to take time and open this Bible and answer those questions from God's Word. You don't need to leave without knowing that the babe of Bethlehem is your Lord and your Savior the one who forgives you for your sins, as the piano would play. If you need to come and pray, now is the time.